Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Thank you for coming along. I'm joined today, as often, by Linda Gasparello, the co-host of this program. Today, we're going to take a look at the thorny issue of migration, of people trying to get into the United States, but people also trying to get into Europe, people trying to get into South Africa. And our attention will be on what is going on on the southern border and the politics uh, associated with that. Our special guest today is Caitlin Dixon, who is a senior reporter at Yahoo News. Caitlin, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you for having me. Well, it's a great pleasure to have you. And you've been covering uh, immigration for how long now? Uh, on and off, I would say, since since the Obama administration. So you, you're pretty uh, familiar with it. Um, yeah. And where does the Biden administration sound stand? I beg your pardon. Uh, we have so much uh, criticism of it, uh, such an idea that there's an open border, et cetera, which I think you and I know this is not true, but that is what is said. So tell me, where is the Biden administration and what is it facing? Well, you know, the Biden administration um, is came in sort of with this this promise to roll back the restrictions that were put in place under uh, former President Donald Trump's administration, who, you know, sought to restrict immigration and particularly asylum at the border. And um, I think the Biden administration has come under criticism from you know, both the right and the left uh, for the way it has sort of proceeded to handle uh, issues of, of migration at the southern border since uh, the beginning of the pandemic. So early March 2020, there has been this um, emergency public health order in effect at the border known as Title 42. You've probably heard that you know, obscure name being referenced about. And basically what it is, is this is this public health um, emergency order that actually was issued by the CDC under Trump that effectively, you know, put in place all of these restrictions in terms of non-citizens coming across the southern um, border into the U.S. And it has remained in effect uh, to this day. It's, it's currently in effect. And... Um, you know, from from the perspective of people on the left who have were really hoping that the Biden administration would, you know, get rid of this 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 um, policy, which has restricted asylum greatly at the border. Um, they've been really frustrated and disappointed with the Biden administration, which so far has not been able to do that. And then on the right, um, critics have sort of try to stop the Biden administration from lifting this policy, saying that it's going to create chaos and, you know, fuel open borders. And um, it's sort of left Biden, I think, in this this position of of being not stuck, but sort of in a, in a tricky position of, of wanting to, you know, roll back this this policy of his predecessors without sort of inviting an influx of, of migrants at the border, which is why we have this new asylum rule that was just introduced last How week. many migrants, uh, Caitlin, how many migrants are coming across? Is it more than during the Trump administration? Is it fewer or is it about the same? Um, I'm not going to try to 
give you a specific number because I know I'm going to get it wrong, but I do know that it is the numbers in recent months and in the last, I think, year or so have been uh, record highs. And and when I when we say like coming across the border, these numbers that we're talking about are people who you know, were apprehended at border, people who, you know, crossed and were either caught by a border patrol agent or presented themselves, which as is often the case, sort of like hand turned themselves over to a border patrol agent because they wanted to request asylum. Um, and so that's, that's what we're talking about. People who have been encountered at the Southern border, those numbers have been sort of uh, climbing to record highs under Biden. Um, I think we should note that migration, immigration is a global problem. Last year, 504,000 people crossed the English Channel to get into England. And if you want to compare numbers, um, the British population, the population of Britain is uh, 55 million. So Half a million is a fairly large number of people to try to integrate. It is not a peculiar or primarily an American problem, but it here has a political edge that is extraordinary, although it does elsewhere, too. I mean, we have a new administration in Italy, which is really hostile to administration. Part of the drive for Britain's leaving the common market was that somehow it will cut down the number of migrants, but it really hasn't done that. So it's a global problem. And I'll just throw in a few other things. There's a tremendous problem in South America with Venezuela uh, streaming out of Venezuela into neighboring countries. In Africa, you've got people pouring into South Africa, primarily from Zimbabwe, which actually happens to be my homeland originally. Um, it is a huge problem. Desperate people do desperate things. Let's go back to Everybody talks, Caitlin, about what we need is for Congress to pass a policy. But would that work? Is is a policy really going to stop this human flood? Well, I mean, you know, as you noted, there are people from this isn't a uniquely American or issue. The United States isn't the only country experiencing these influxes of migrants and there's sort of, you know, two sort of things that you have to look at, the, the what's known as like the push factors and the pull factors. And there are certain things that maybe drive or, you know, attract immigrants to try to come to the United States through certain channels, but they're all, they wouldn't do that if they weren't, you know, leave, leaving a desperate situation in the first place. And those are, you know, the push factors and clearly all over the world, there are a lot of things driving people to flee their homes because their situation has become like unlivable and they've decided it would be, you know, it's worthwhile to seek a better situation elsewhere, even though they're putting themselves in, you know, often great danger to do so. So, you know, I don't know how much a, a change of U.S. like federal law, a policy being, uh, you know, a, a bill being passed would would change the the push factors that are driving people to leave their homes. But I do think that like there, the the policies that we have in the United States and the the immigration system as it is is was not created to sort of deal with the circumstances that we're dealing with today. You know, the framework that we're operating under is from originally from the 50s. I think the last meaningful, um, you know, 
major immigration uh, law change, uh, legislative change was in the 90s. You know, so it's it's been a long time and, and a lot of sort of ad hoc policy changes, executive orders, things like that have have um, been added and taken away in the intervening years. But I do think that in order to sort of really address some of the systemic issues that we're dealing with right now, it would require um, a change at the at the federal level, um, at the legislative level. You know, a lot of when we talk about asylum and what Republicans often tend to refer to as sort of this open borders concept, which doesn't really isn't really an accurate description of the situation. Um, you know, a lot of times I think what they're what they're referring to is the fact that when somebody comes across the border um, and requests asylum, you know, under normal circumstances, they would be then put into what's you know removal proceedings and given the opportunity at some point down the line to plead their case in front of an immigration judge, which because of, you know, major backlogs and shortages of judges and um, processing sort of staffing shortages, that that's a really a long process that can take years. And so often people are allowed to be um, paroled, you know, out of detention and live and work in the country for however many years it takes before they're given the chance to even, you know, see a judge. And a lot of people see that as a loophole. And um, in in some ways, you know, I guess it, it sort of is, but, um, you know, one way to address that would be to maybe like change the system of requesting asylum uh, in that manner so that you're not waiting, you know, five more plus years uh, before you get a chance to appear before a judge, have it happen more quickly you know, once you get into the country so that um, there isn't that sort of huge gap. Um, that's just one, you know, potential thing. There are a lot, you know, the immigration system is huge and like very vast and interconnected and sort of convoluted in many ways. Um, the, the border is just one aspect of it. Um, in my laundry list of uh, places troubled by by unwanted uh, new new visitors or new settlers, I should have mentioned, of course, the Middle East, which is a tremendous number of people out of Syria or out of every war-torn country in the Middle East, uh, which has been very destabilizing in places like Lebanon uh, and continues to be. Uh, and of course, the case in point uh, of migrants at the moment is Ukraine, where 8 million people have gone into neighboring countries, into Germany, particularly into Poland, etc. It is not an easy situation. Linda Gasparello. Caitlin, uh, the president of the State of the Union address really served the ball to Congress. And before the State of the Union address, he introduced a policy and then he's just recently introduced another policy. That first policy was allowing 30,000 migrants from four different countries to come to the United States um, per month. And that was Venezuela, Nicaragua, uh, Cuba, um, and country, Haiti. and Haiti, right. Then the second one, which he, uh, which he uh, had just recently, 
was this one about an asylum transit ban, which looks very much like the asylum ban that uh, President, former President Trump had. What has been the response to these two initiatives by the White House and in Congress? Yeah. And who in Congress is, is returning this ball? Who are, who are the new immigrant? Who's willing to take this on in Congress? Well, that's a good question. Um, the response in Congress, uh, you know, I know that there was a push a few weeks ago or, you know, earlier this year from some of the new Republican um, majority in the House to try to push through a um, sort of very narrow bill that would essentially kind of codify the Title 42 emergency order, uh, more or less, to sort of make it possible to more, uh, sorry, to, to make it possible to more easily turn away asylum seekers at the southern border. Um, that was put forth by um, Chip Roy. And I, what's interesting is that that is, doesn't seem to have, you know, unanimous support among Republicans. I know there's been like some pushback amongst um more moderate Republicans, particularly uh, some from from Texas and border states who who deal with their own constituencies who are, you know, themselves, you know, immigrants or have immigrant families. And, um, and I think, so I think there's this interesting sort of divide, even on the Republican side in terms of what to do. Uh, in terms of the response from from Democrats to Biden's uh, proposals that there's been largely negative, I would say, response, particularly to the, the so-called transit ban or, you know, transit ban 2.0, which the administration really is trying to discourage those comparisons. But um, that received a lot of backlash from, from progressives and, and members uh, of Congress on the Democratic side, basically because it creates an, a, a set of barriers to asylum um, that are not on their face as, uh, I guess, categorical as the Trump version was, but, you know, still present a lot of concerns for people in terms of just making it harder and uh, creating this barrier to entry that, you know, under the U.S. law doesn't doesn't exist right now. Right now, U.S. law says if you come to the United States, if you're on U.S. soil, regardless of how you got here, you have the right to request asylum. You know, it doesn't say you have the right to get asylum, but you have the right to pursue a claim. And so anything that effectively limits people's access to do that um, is going to is going to get pushed back and will probably, you know, invite legal challenges. I think we should uh... And uh, take a look at uh, what is meant by asylum. It has a traditional understanding that this was when you faced it, faced political uh, danger at home, that you would be killed or you'd be imprisoned. And that has become rather loosened because an awful lot of people who are granted asylum are really people seeking to improve desperate lives escaping poverty, maybe escaping gangs, and the old tradition of asylum didn't include gangs, it was always regarded as state oppression, and now you've got gangs and you've got other things you could that uh, make life untenable for people. As I see this, you have three distinct forces. 
Uh, one is the humanitarian, people in the worst of circumstance seeking to improve their lot in this world. Uh, the other one is, uh, do you let too many people in? Uh, do you change your culture? Do you overload your systems? And thirdly, you've got a need for replacement population. Well, th that is so true, Llewellyn. Um, I I'd like to get back to uh, President Biden's asylum transit ban, because there's a new there's a new aspect of that which I find incredibly curious. You can get asylum um, if you've got a medical emergency, if there's if you can prove a medical problem, or the other thing is if you have an app on your telephone where you can uh, start your asylum process. But criticism of that has really been people who are pushing north toward the southern border uh, probably do not have these telephones. And there's a Wi-Fi problem. So I'm just really curious as to yeah. how this was supposed to resolve anything and what the response to that has been. Right. Um, well, so I just want to clarify first, um, in terms of, you know, when we're talking about the exceptions, like in medical emergency, or, or um, you know, there's some other sort of exceptions that are carved out for people to this, the transit aspect of this rule. Um, and also just uh, in terms of using this app to get an appointment, it's not I guess it's not to get asylum. It's like to be able to get the opportunity to even apply for asylum. Um, so you're not applying for asylum through this app. Um, and, you know, even if you're allowed to sort of enter into the country because you qualify for one of these exceptions, you you haven't been granted asylum at that stage of the game no. either. You've just been given the opportunity to come in and stay while you pursue that avenue. So just wanted to clarify that part, but yeah. So the app um, is called CBP1 and it, um, I think it came out like a couple years ago, originally was used by uh, truckers and people sort of hauling cargo back and forth across the land border. And more recently it has been sort of adapted and updated um, to be used by some of the people who are requesting exemptions to the current Title 42 policy or people who are applying for that uh, temporary parole status, which you mentioned earlier for people from those four specific countries. Um, and so what the Biden administration is planning to do now under this new asylum rule that they've just introduced is to make it so that um, if you are coming to the southern border with the intention of requesting asylum here, that you will need to schedule an appointment using this app to present yourself at an official port of entry um, and where you, you, know, you say, I'm here, you don't have, you know, documentation, a visa, or any any sort of legal authority to be in the country, but you present yourself and make your claim to having a fear of returning to your country, and that sort of starts the whole process of requesting asylum. So in order to be allowed to do that, the Biden administration is now saying you have to schedule an appointment on this app. And um, as, you, as you said, there are plenty of obvious um, 
you know, obstacles to that for people who are coming here. I, you know, I, I think there's probably maybe a, a high percentage of people who have some sort of smartphone, but as you said, people are traversing these, you know, sort of jungle terrains through central South America, Central America, through Mexico to get to the border in the first place. Wi-Fi is not reliable. Um, cellular service, they may not have a phone that's compatible. And then on top of all of that, um, there's apparently been a ton of glitches reported with this app. Uh, you know, it's it's malfunctioning, it's crashing, there's too much demand for these appointments. And so, you know, they run out very quickly every morning. And then the uh, error messages, some people have said, are, you know, just uh, in English and not necessarily the language with the, which the person uh, who's using it speaks. Um, there have been some reported issues with facial recognition technology, not sort of um, not working correctly, depending on like your skin tone. And and I know that um, CBP and DHS have said that they are really working to remedy these issues and have remedied a lot of them and are continuing to update the app to make it, you know, as effective as possible. But um, again, at the end of the day, I think for those who are, who work with, with people who are seeking asylum, whether they're, you know, advocates, lawyers on the ground on the border, um, there's a big concern that, you know, this again, creates another barrier to entry that makes it just harder for people to, to get access to this, this right Caitlin, that to be open to pretty much Caitlin, yeah. Caitlin, of the, um, those who, who get an interview or get into the country, but have to wait several years before they appear before an immigration judge to see whether their case is valid and whether they, in fact, qualify for asylum. Um, what happens if they don't? Are they deported? By which point they're pretty entrenched. They have jobs. Maybe they've contracted marriages. Their circumstances have changed. Their circumstances change simply by being here. Right. Um, that's a great question. I I think that the you know the majority of people who are funneled into this process eventually will present themselves um, for asylum and try to make their case for an immigration judge. If they are not, if they lose their case, um, then yeah, then, then they will be placed in sort of a a process of of being deported from the country, which is a really, you know, as you said, they've been living here for years. They're entrenched in the community. Maybe they've had, you know, gotten married, had children, created a family, established a life here. And that's a pretty sort of jarring uh, scenario when you've been living here for several years and working and, and sort of trying to create a life for yourself to then now be, um, at risk of deportation and the the number of people the percentage of people who are allowed in initially and then are granted asylum eventually is uh is much smaller than you know than the initial number who are who are allowed in and because it, it's a really it's an adversarial process it's very um technical and and uh complicated and often you know immigrants are not given a, a lawyer if they can't one so if you know often people are representing themselves in this very complicated system and um it's it's a challenge to get that to get that um to 
successfully petition for asylum once given the chance to do so. And so there are also people who, you know, I think may not put themselves in that situation and then be sort of forced into the scenario where they're living kind of under the radar uh, to avoid deportation. Linda Gasparella, question for Caitlin Dixon. Yes, Caitlin, there are two Republican governors, uh, Governor Eric Holcomb of Indiana and Governor Spencer Cox of Utah, who are proposing that states take control of their own immigration. Now, if they did that, it would require congressional approval. And I'm wondering whether or not this has got any traction with Republicans in, in Congress. And I think maybe even some Democrats can support something like that. I, you know, that's a good question. To be totally honest, I'm I'm not super familiar with that proposal. It I it raises a lot of questions for me, like just right off the bat, exactly how would it work? Um, you know, obviously there are some states deal with immigration much more than others. And so I guess I think it would be that strikes me as something that would generate a lot of pushback and and certainly a lot of questions about like the logistics of it and um, how exactly it, it would work. It sort of brings to mind um, when uh, under the Obama administration, when some states tried to opt out of uh, accepting Syrian refugees. Uh, and, you know, I, I've, I'd be interested in sort of like the similarities to that. Do you get a lot of correspondence? Whenever I write, I have a syndicated newspaper column. Whenever I write, about anything to do with immigration. I get all this mostly hate mail. Uh, so I'm an awful person and uh, I should go back where I came from as well as everything else, which uh, uh, I don't like. But it, it indicates the, the amount of uh, hostility to immigrants that there is in the country, but it's always a kind of undefined as to what it is that worries people about immigrants. Do you get a lot of mail? I do. Uh, yes, that is, um, I've sort of gotten used to it at this point, but it, yes, that I, I would say immigration probably more than anything I cover evokes a very, it seems almost like visceral response from people, very angry, uh, very hateful. Um, yeah, that is something that I do experience regularly. And um, I agree with you. I think it tells us a lot about sort of the deep-seated animosity that some people have. And I don't know, you know, I, I generally don't think that that is the majority of people who have those feelings and opinions, but maybe they're based on the comments that you and I are receiving, maybe our vocal uh, portion of the population. Caitlin Dixon, that's our show for today. Thank you so much for coming on. And I might say you have chosen a very tough assignment or somebody has chosen a very tough assignment for you. That's our show for today. And I thank the powers that be that I am a legal immigrant to the United States. It's a wonderful thing and a, a citizen to boot. Cheers. White House Chronicle is available as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen, we are there.